Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Mario, Matt Cooper here. I hear you have Ed Smith on the podcast today, talking about his new podcast. As I am an esteemed Today FM colleague and erstwhile friend of yours, I hope I can be afforded the same opportunity. Not to be throwing around threats, but unless we can organise something, Frank Greeny might be reporting on a case involving me and you in the near future, as early as Saturday. Thank you. Oh dear, Matt Cooper getting a bit heavy-handed there. Of course, Matt was a guest on my podcast before, and I encourage you to listen back to that. Um, it's an excellent podcast, and it features Matt, um, an expletive-ridden um, podcast featuring mainly Matt, actually. Uh, but that was before he had started his own excellent Go Loud uh, original podcast, um, Magnified with Matt Cooper. So we didn't talk about it uh, at that time. So I guess we must have him on again sometime soon to talk about him again. But as Matt mentioned, our Today FM colleague, Ed Smith, is my special guest on this episode. Ed and I have been colleagues for over 20 years. In fact, about 25 years, would you believe? Um, Ed was on um, up working in marketing and one of the marketing kids who used to come into Today FM. Um, uh, and many of them went on to do bigger things in Today FM around about 1998. And he's worked on so many shows with many presenters, became a presenter in his own right years ago. And he knows so much about music and the fascinating stories behind the artists, songs and albums. And that's something that really appeals to me. I used to um, love doing the story behind the song on the Sunday Roast a few years ago. Um, So much so, anyway, that he started a brand new podcast about those stories. It's called Recorded History. And he'll explain all in a few moments. In this chat, Ed tells me all about his new podcast and he tells me the stories behind some of the songs and albums that have had a big impact on him over the years. I had a chance to reinvent myself. Yeah. None of these people knew what was thought of me at home or in school and they took to me and music. I had that one tape with me was R.E.M. Out of Time and and everyone was like, oh my God, you've got the R.E.M. album. So again, music for me was a way in as a key and as as kind of a, a lure. And they'd be sitting there Fags out. A little, my father used to drink like a whiskey glass of Guinness. Just that's all he'd have. My mother had a wee brandy and then they'd sit there and they'd reminisce and she'd ah, tears come down the side of her face. And, that's nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. So Jim Reeves would be a big one for me. And then when I was recovering for the few weeks after the heart attack, I said, you know what, I'll just throw on. I haven't listened to a brother for a while. And I threw it on and I just felt every atom, every electron, every little cell in my body just go... Yeah. It took me out of my head. Yeah. The anxiety was real. I get at the it. Time. I get it. My full chat with Ed Smith coming up very shortly. But this week, I'm recording um, this for you just before I go down to Cork to perform in four um, sold out live shows of Gift Grub Live 23. Um, I always have a ball down in Cork. It's like my second home. I went to school down there, and that's why I do so many Cork characters. So I'm hoping that Cork is a blast. And by the time you hear this, I'll probably have almost finished my run. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope, Mario, you're having a great time down in Cork while you're listening to this. And as we're in Cork and in the middle of the Six Nations, it has to be a sketch about Ronan O'Gara that appeals to me most to play back for you here. Um, this was when he landed on the shortlist uh, for the job as head coach of the England rugby team. Well, this caused quite the stir and a lot of people phoned Raj up and left messages on his voice- voicemail. We got our hands on them. Hi, you've reached Ronan O'Gara. For corporate gigs, press 1. 
For paid sponsorships, press 2. For paid leadership seminars, press 3. To leave a message, press 4. Raj, this is Polly. It's what I'm hearing through, Raj, that you're in the shortlist for the English job. This would constitute treason, Raj. Call me immediately. Uh, good afternoon, Raj. Uh, this is Taoiseach Michal Martin calling here. Uh, as a monster uh, man, uh, but more specifically, Raj, uh, as a cork man, uh, I would urge you to reconsider this, this insane course of action going forward. Uh, please, uh, don't, he- don't hesitate to get in contact with me. Thank you. <laughs> All credit to curveballs. Raj, this is Roy. Are you out of your fucking mind? England? England? Walk away from your own country? You know my number, call me. Whoa, 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 Raj, this is Boris Johnson. Huzzah for rugby. Wonderful, wonderful to hear the news that you may be indeed taking the Queen's shilling and returning to the mainland from the colonies very, very shortly. What a day it'll be with the rose on your tracksuit as you singing God Save the Queen. Ipso facto, fantastic news. Raj, Polly, it's been two hours and 15 minutes. If you do not call me now, I will personally go over to La Rochelle on a ferry and rip your fuck. Raj, <laughs> this is Drico. As a former international teammate, I was perturbed, Raj, by the news concerning England. Perhaps some kind of compromise can be reached, Raj. Maybe, maybe Leinster instead of, instead of England. I don't know. I could pull some strings. Let's get this done, Raj. This would be a bad move. Call me, Raj. Leinster, call me. Ronan, this is Rishi Sunak, Prime Minister of Great Britain. It's great to hear the news. If there is anything I can do to expedite the situation, even before the World Cup. Swing low, sweet chariot. Raj is going to carry us home. Raj, Polly, England was one thing. But Leinster, you're dead to me, Raj. Well, that sketch really did the rounds at the time, one of the most popular we've made in the past few months. If you're new to the podcast, why not dip into a few more of our episodes um, after this one? There's a sketch in every one, um, and you won't have heard, heard it on the radio. It's exclusive to the podcast. And do please press the follow button or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. You may not realize it, but the simple little action like that really, really helps us to keep this podcast going and reach more and more people all the time. And as I'm always saying, if you enjoy my podcast, just tell one other person about it while you're sitting in a snug over a quiet Jemison or something. Right, so let's meet this week's guest, Ed Smith, as he talks to me about his new upcoming podcast, Recorded History. So, Ed Smith, tell me all about this new, brand new podcast of yours. Well, thank you, Mario. Yes, it's nice to be on a podcast to talk about a podcast. Just what the world needs. Another podcast. Another soon-to-be middle-aged white guy with a podcast. (laughs) It's going to be called Recorded History. This is essentially where I get to chat to some very interesting people. It can be an artist, a comedian, such as yourself, a musician, a photographer, anything. Uh, Kind of a well-known figure. And I delve into their recorded history as such. So they get to think about and choose and discuss three pivotal records in their lives. Yeah, I love this now. Yeah, this so is right from, up my street. From a chronological point of view, I would assume then they start from something that they would associate with their childhood, yeah. teens, and then anything in their later years. And again, it's as much about the music as it is the significance. Now, these don't have to be the best records in the world. No. You know? Sure, I'll give you an example. Yeah. I mean, they say that when you're 14 years of age, it's absolutely pivotal. Yeah. 
you remember all the records from 14? Well, I was I was actually just reading uh, a neuro- neurological, there we go, that's another issue, uh, report yesterday about the significance of music to teenagers yeah. in particular and how as we get older, we become physically, physiologically, uh, neurologically disinclined to engage with new music. Ooh. And there's a whole range of studies and theories. And one of them is that I think... When you're a teenager, I'm a very strong believer in this, that when you're 13, 14 and you're into your bands, there's nothing quite like the intensity, the almost ferocious adoration and love that you feel and your all-encompassing need to listen to every single thing that they've ever done or said. You read the liner notes, you get the albums, you go through them and the pouring over. And that, as you get into your 20s and 30s, and then in my case, 40s, that... You lose, you're almost chasing the dragon ever since your teens. And there, it's a very pivotal time in your, I suppose, your cultural life that those couple of years, and it doesn't matter what it was, it does inform you for the rest of your life as to what kind of music you're going to follow on from from there. So it'll be getting into that, you know, mm. and... But 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 just to just to add to that, Ed, it's hormonal as well at that time. Yeah. So, for example, you said it doesn't have to be great music. No. So, so for example, when I was 14, yeah. right, so the hormones are kicking in and you're finding, you're you're just in love. Right? Yeah. And so, Phyllis Nelson, move closer. <laughs> I can never get move it out of my mind. closer. It's just not a song that people would hardly even remember. But if you but, think back, Mario, to when you were 13, 14, 15, as you just said rather eloquently, is there the intensity of feelings you had maybe towards your parents, negative or positive, towards your friends, towards yeah. members of the, people, of, yep. of the gender that you were attracted yep. to. It was completely overpowering That's right. and overwhelming. And I remember that time as well, very vividly, you know, that music for me and for so many children and teenagers was an escape and outlet. Mm-hmm. And it was a way then as well. This is another theory. Very interesting. It gives teenagers that chance to belong to a tribe. That's right. Or to belong to something or to have a defining feature. Because mm-hmm. when you're 13, 14, you don't really know who mm-hmm. or what you are, mm-hmm. which way you're going. Mm-hmm. But to latch onto a band, and you could say similarly, rather clunkily maybe, same with sport, if you follow it, football team. It's when you're 13, 14 that you really, you pick your Man United yeah. or your Liverpools, or in my case, unfortunately, Tottenham Hotspur. It becomes inextricably linked to not only you, but to your emotional state. Yeah, and, and, your, and your identity, you know, and I think then <clears throat> you can find common ground with other teenagers at that time or for people who support the same, the same team. And it's a, it's a real, you know, icebreaker. You know, it could be a deal breaker and it could be a heartbreaker in my case with Spurs. But, you know, with music particularly, it is a way of clubbing together and finding common ground with people. And I think that's such a vital part and of being a teenager. And sifting through friends. Yes. So, for example, if you, you know, if you look at High Fidelity um, and the um, the way that music snobs sift through each other's friends. So, for example, I will know you mm. based, I will, I will choose to know you yeah. based on the music you like. Uh, full disclosure, I was Jack Black. And whilst I, I resemble him <laughs> physically, I definitely resembled him for many of... And I'm, I look back on those years with great embarrassment, really, and shame. I was a dreadful snob. And I would use people's music taste as a, as a categorization right. and as a, as, a, as a reason to stick them with, yeah. stick, to beat them with a stick with and to separate and f- feel superior That's to. Right. You know, and that, again, was my own insecurities, obviously. Yeah. I would almost willfully and, and with glee look at the record collection going, ah. Oh, I have you. I have you pegged. Exactly. I'm better because I like the Cure, which is, yeah. a, and ever since I've taken an avowed aversion, and almost a militant, uh, 
I suppose, campaign to be so anti-snobbishness. And this is what the, the podcast is all about as well, is just really kind of, I suppose, demystifying record collections. I think there's a certain, this has happened, I think, rather recently with the influx and the kind of uptake in vinyl records. I see creeping back in that unless you own it on vinyl and you see men of a certain age arranging their vinyls, they, they prop them up beside the record player and they go and a little kind of glass of port or wine beside a carefully placed. It's all about the image of like, mm. check me out. Mm. I know you're probably listening to Spotify, mm. you absolute Burke. Mm. I'm trying to bring Burke back, by mm. the way. But, you know, no, I, I, I live on a higher plane. Mm. I listen to it on vinyl, yeah. don't you know? So, again, this is something that I'm really trying to to establish on, on recorded history is that, look, music means so much to so many people for so many different reasons. And again, again, it's not about what's the best records in your collection. No. You know, it could be, as we'll get into it now, <laughs> some surprising choices from me. But the ones I've done so far, um, completely knocked knocked back by some of the people's choices. Yeah. And some of the people you have on your, like, uh, I hope we don't mind, you don't mind if this we name... This is a big one. Yeah, name drop this one. This is a great guest you have so, on your podcast. So we're launching next week. And I got the call a week or two ago from D-Ready, the great D-Ready, who is producing this. And she said, I have, your, I, have a, I have a guest for you for next week. I was like, yeah, go on, who is it? Shania Twain. Hmm. And Brilliant. Could not believe it. Yeah. You know, and ever since I've been in a deep dive about the life of Shania Twain. Yeah. I've watched the documentary. I've yeah. listened to the new album, which is actually really, really, really good. It's called Queen of Me. A fascinating woman. Yeah. You know, and, and as we discussed just before you came on the podcast here, that I was right in saying, because I'd, I'd heard this interesting statistic, that her, uh, that, uh, that first, that big album hmm. she did was the highest selling female solo artist album. Of all time. Of all time. Of all time. You know, that is no mean feat when you think, as we were discussing, like Barbra Streisand, yeah. Aretha Franklin countless others she is one if not the, in that case the biggest selling female artist Celine Dion even. Celine Dion you all know. of them you know so and I, just going through her story incredibly tragic upbringing tough upbringing but uh, an incredibly determined smart and from what I'm from what I'm told and from what I've seen in interviews a lovely lady oh. but she's been through it you sure. know she had she has Lyme disease you know she got bitten by a tick while riding a horse through a river and all this so she almost lost her voice so she has an incredible story to tell I'm not going to give anything away no. um, but she sent me her list of records oh and I I'll, t- I'll say this incredibly surprising great great not, great not one country record on it yeah now also equally as interesting in my view would be somebody like Louis Walsh particularly from yeah, his experiences Louis. in the show band uh, industry you've met him a few times oh yeah you he, have. Louis is incredible interviewee he, he's uh, I was nervous about Louis I was more nervous about Louis than, than I am talking to Shania Twain oddly enough you know he comes he comes with a certain I suppose freeze on a certain not a uh, reputation but he, he's such an iconic figure in yeah. Irish music you know and to last as long as he has and to have the success he has, he's an absolute character. He is. He was a joy. Yeah. Also, he's got, I mean, I know you said snob a minute ago. He's got impeccable taste in music. His music knowledge. And his music taste alone, is impeccable. his taste. Again, I'm not going to give anything away about his three choices. A very surprising again. Yeah. Not one so-called cheesy pop boy band record yeah. amongst them. I'll give you one. It was Roy Orbison's one of them. Yeah. And his knowledge goes back. If you think about Louis Walsh, Kilshima. 50s, 1950s. Yeah. He has been through the show band era. Yeah. Hustled and bustled his way to the very top of yeah. the pop pyramid in England, here. And and has done so, you know, obviously with a, with a very determined outlook. But he's, his sense of fun and mischief, the stuff I had to edit out. I know. You know this when you're talking yeah. to him. The stuff he'll say about a particular artist he works with <laughs> or 
an incredibly famous person. And he'll just go, well, of course, you know, ding dong. Yeah. And you go, Louis, Louis, Louis. I, I have to cut that out. He's outrageous. I know. But a very kind man. He gave me a, gave me a full hour of his time. Yeah, he's terrific. And he loves, he just, what people forget about Louis Walsh, I suppose, is that he genuinely loves music. He does, no question. And his passion comes through in his choices and his detail and his knowledge. And you also will have, but you'll also change tack slightly. You will have, for example, Brezzy on about pop, I've got Brezzy, the psychology of pop music. Yeah, so his knowledge, he comes from it from a very different, a very mindful way, as you'd expect from mm-hmm. Brezzy. You know, so we get, you know, we're going to get into a very interesting chat with Brezzy. You know, he takes a very kind of unique view of the role music can play in your mental health. And his own upbringing in Mullingar, he's had a very varied, interesting career, Brezzy. So we get into it, you know, and we shared a lot of the kind of same taste. He's a 90s brat like I am. So there's a bit of grunge in there with Brezzy. And again, another couple of more surprising choices. So this is what I'm getting from it so far is that you might have a preconception of someone. You might assume somebody will walk in, you go, oh, let me guess. Uh, it's going to be really highfalutin or it's going to be this. And then they go, no, actually, these are mine. You go, what? What? So this is where I'm going. This is what I'm, the joy of this podcast, and I should tell you as well, it's going to be available first on Go Loud or wherever you get your podcasts, as we always say. And you've got to make sure to follow the show and don't miss out on any of these great episodes. It's going to be called Recorded History on Go Loud. And it's all supported by the gang, the brilliant gang down at the recordhub.com, your local Irish and online record store. They're a phenomenal outlet for vinyl. As I was saying about vinyl, it is massive now. It's outselling CDs. It's the most listened to uh, format, I suppose, outside of Spotify, of course. So the Record Hub have gotten on board. They're brilliant partners. And I cannot wait to get up and running with this recorded history. It's going to be something something special. That's terrific. OK, so to kick it off today as oh. a kind of a taster, we're going to look at three artists, three records. Yeah, three records. You, like. uh, you know, it was a tough one, this, because, you know, when your producer, Pat, asked me, would you go on and do your own show with Marion? Mm. I was like, oh. I'm used to being on the other side of the mic or in the other side of the computer recording people talking. So this is a tough one for me. I grew up uh, born in London uh, to Irish parents. My father worked and ran and owned pubs all his life. So music was... So we moved to Cork in 1982. I was uh, six or seven at the time. So to go from quite a well and aside, but I suppose it's quite... It was a very nice area in London, Chiswick. I don't know if you know it. We went to a very rural part of Cork. He, he bought a bar there. So... It being rural Ireland, it being in the country, and it being a pub, music was every weekend there'd be a band or a local trad. But country music was massive for me when I was growing up, you yeah. know. So my mother, incredibly, God rest her. So when you say country music, a, you you had it played in the house. We had it played on the radio. Yeah. Or, the, or then we'd have bands in. We'd have trad bands in. Wow. Or we'd have country music bands in. Yeah. You had to. Now, when you say country music, do you mean American country music? I would see that particular strain of Irish country music. I would call it the boom, boom. Boom, 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 mm. you know, heavy on the bass, mm. a lot of co- cover versions, and then it was pure trad. But all the co- country classics were there, you know, and gonna, we'll get into it now. But Jim Reeves was a massive factor in my life, and there was a show called by a guy called Pascal Mooney. Yeah, uh, if you, you remember him, yeah, well. Senator Pascal, Senator Pascal, that's ah. right. Yeah, so my mother would throw Pascal Mooney on of a night. I think he was on in around eight o'clock, and she would be doing the ironing, and Pascal would be on, and we'd be mucking about the floor watching telly rolling our eyes at this at this music but she would sing along not a great singer I'll, I'll say that to her but my father would be would finish the pub around half eleven he'd shut the shut the bar and she'd get the Jim Reeves records out so Jim Reeves was the first I suppose artist that I was exposed to on a constant and at, in many cases unwilling basis you know I would have been 10, 11 going oh what is this you know but as time has gone on as is so often the case with me I've looked back and gone 
I was wrong. You know, she would put him on for the full record, the, the greatest hits of Jim Reeves, and we'd be, we'd all chip in to help clean up the pub after my father had finished up, you know, sweeping the fagbots. This is the days, obviously, when you could smoke. Mm. All the fagbots, empty the ashtrays, wash the glasses, and then you'd have Jim Reeves. And then I'd be kind of whinging and moaning about washing the glass. I'd turn around and I'd see my parents doing a little waltz. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, really. Yeah. Right? I'm getting a bit emotional, but doing little waltz to themselves completely privately to Jim, really? to Jim Reeves. So if you listen back to Jim Reeves, you know, uh, there was a time in country music where rock and roll was absolutely trancing it. Elvis was out. Kids were moving away. Rockabilly gave birth to rock and roll and country music was was hick, mm. you know. So they kind of tried to come up with a different, so what's called the Nashville sound, very croony and mm. very lush with the orchestration. You've got Patsy Cline. If you think about Patsy Cline, incredibly lush, almost from a 40s kind of perspective. And Jim Reeves came out with this beautiful, dip, deep, rich baritone, almost yeah. like a country Bing, Bing Crosby. That's right. And uh, You may not remember, Ed, but he was famous, um, it was famous in the 70s and 80s. There was an, a, an advertisement on RTE television. Welcome to my world. No. Put, Put your, your sweet ah, lips yes. a, little a little closer, closer to, to the phone. phone. Real crooner. I think it was from like something like Telecom. It was the old Telecom. Uh, yeah, and the, the phone was in the shape of Ireland. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. These were ads were ads, Mario. I remember that. Yeah, ads were ads then. But that was Jim Reeves. So that was Jim Reeves, you know. So when I hear his voice now and I do listen to him, it's a bit hard for me to listen to Jim Reeves to this day because it does really bring me back to my It mother. puts you right back, does it? It, it brings, I can almost smell the pub. I yeah. can smell the stale smoke. I yeah. can smell the kind of that that almost dreadful kind of musky smell you get from a pint glass that's been left for an hour or two and you're washing up and then you'd hear Jim's kind of warm honey voice coming across as the smoke cleared. You'd hear his voice and then my mother would have put on toast and ham and cheese sandwiches mm. and then that would be our little, this is half 11, 12, 1 mm. in the morning and we were just children but it was beautiful and I suppose that is a memory and that is an artist that to this day I still, I'll, I'll put him on one, one or two. There's a couple of songs I still, you know, my mother passed away, gosh, it's 12 years ago now, but it, it's so visceral for me. And this is what I suppose I'm trying to get at with the podcast is that with music, you know, people talk about smells bringing you in right back, but it's obviously music, a soundtrack, so many of our so-called and seemingly incidental moments. You know, these weren't major moments in my life. You know, nothing major was happening. Like when, it was just my dad sweeping up or me washing glasses and then my yeah. mother, you know, sitting there and she'd have tears coming down her face. She was an incredibly sentimental woman. And she would be drawn to country music because it's an incredibly sentimental and mournful and often morose genre of music. So she ate it up and she fed it to us then as well. So, you know, I was surrounded by the likes of Susan McCann, Finamina Begley, all of those, Johnny McAvoy. So anytime Sandy Kelly would come on the telly, we'd have to watch that and all the artists that she would have on. But Jim Reeves was a massive one for me mm. uh, when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten. you know, so... Again, country music in this country, absolutely massive. And it, I think I, I turned away from that, you know, as you do as a teenager, you kind of rebel. I suppose you kind of go, ugh, this is just so cheesy and corny. And, you know, and I was incredibly wrong. And, I, you know, I look back now and the things I'd say to my mum about the music she loved, I, with great shame, you know, I would kind of like turn off the radio and tell her, God, what do you listen to this muck for? Come on, let's put on whatever it was, The Stunning or something. Well, Hank Williams, I mean, country music people, people often um, misrepresent it or misunderstand it. I mean, that real country music is about real truth. Yeah, and I've come full circle. We'll get to that. You know, I've come full circle with country, you know, and I suppose when I'm talking to Shania now, it's, it, it is so varied and I think people have a misconception and a preconceived snobbery. Again, there it is, that country music is somehow lesser, a little bit more basic and appeals to 
you know, it's redneck music. But what people, when people, when the Late Late Show does the country special once a year, if you look at Twitter, it drives me absolutely barmy because you'll see the people rolling their eyes, giving out, what is this muck you're going? There's a whole swathe, hundreds of thousands of people, especially around the border count, counties. Uh, now, it's everywhere, obviously, still, but it is a massive it holds such a special place for so many people in this country. The country artists are the hardest working men and women in showbiz up and down the highways and byways from the TF down to Listowel, all the way to Waterford, up to Enniskillen. They Hector are, would be a good person to have yeah, and on Hector your knows, podcast you know, at yeah, some stage. I must he, get Hector on. Yeah, there would be a really good guest on that. I can't even imagine his mm. choices. I mm. think, you know, from all over the world, of mm. course, you know. So, you know, so I have a, have a great affection for country music. You know, it took me a while to get there, but I think, you know, it is, it's a music that's looked down upon still to a certain degree. Now, the people that follow it don't give a fiddler's flute what the so-called uh, elites or the so-called uh, musical, um, the musical snobs think about what, they th- what they're enjoying. But if you look at Garth Brooks, still to this day, one of the smartest operators in the business, one of the biggest artists of all time, mm. and the, the hysteria almost that he generated when he was announcing he finally, his final arrival. Mm. You know, it was like Jesus coming back that the hundreds of thousands of people that poured into Dublin is testament to the power and the draw and the appeal, particularly for Irish people. We do love a sad, we do, we do, love, do love feeling sorry for ourselves. Yes. So Jim Reeves, for Jim you, Reeves to bringing this back day, all those memories. We bring back uh, early in, in a place called Kilcorny in North Cork, uh, my dad's pub. There's many people who might hear this now will remember it well. He was a beloved man. It was There were some glorious, magical times in my life and they're all punctuated and soundtracked by the likes of, particularly Jim Reeves. Yeah. Some of the best memories I have down there as a family. And it's, have you looked into Jim Reeves himself? Or? You know, he tragic. You know, he had a short, but, you know, he died in a plane crash as was so often, sadly, yeah. the case. Yeah. Just a year after Patsy Cline. Uh, so many of them died. Buddy in, in Holly. Plane, Buddy Holly, the big bopper. You know, there's there's about, you know, people talk about the 27 Club. Uh, people, you know, rock artists dying at the age of 27, but getting on a plane was a dangerous business. No. I think because their touring schedule was so intense and they were being harangued. They got rickety bullied. flights, short, they got short rickety you flights. You had to go from Arkansas hops. to, you know, Colorado, you know, you got to be there tonight. On bad planes, in, bad in, planes. In, in all sorts of weather, I have to be there. You have to be there. There was no, you're contractually obliged. Yeah. There was no like, uh, it's snowing or it's yeah. a bad storm. You better get here or you're going to lose 5,000. That's right. So they risked their lives as is, and so many of them lost yeah. their lives getting to the gigs. It was a hard road, you know. It was and what, a, what kind of approximate age was he? Ed? I think he was only in his, gosh, he would only be in his 40s or 50s. Oh. He was quite a young man, you know, but it was a tragedy at the time. And again, only a year after one of the great tragedies of country music, the greatest of all time, of, as far as I'm concerned, Patsy Cline had a, had a few hits, but her potential was cut short. She, she died in, in, a, in a plane crash. But again, she would have been one of the progenitors as well of this so-called Nashville sound, which is kind of against... As is so often the case in music, within every genre, you, you do a splinter group and then within minutes, there's a, someone looking down and knows that you, you know that oh, you're part of that sound. And yeah. There'll be a move away from that direction. But that's what music is built on. You know, look at punk rock was a reaction to prog rock. You know, so every, you know, for every reaction, there's going to be an equally yeah. forceful reaction, as they say in physics. But Jim Reeves, to this day, if you go back home today and go just put on Spotify in the fop the top five, six of his biggest well-known songs, the ones we were looking at, you know, He's Going Home is a particular one for me and Put your sweet lips, all of that. I think it I has a beautiful, warm, and gorgeous. You'll have to go. Have to. But even it's just lovely, even trying to approximate his voice. There's a lovely warmth again, similar to kind of Bing Crosby, that kind of croony voice. But the recording of these records, you know, in the 50s, still holds that gorgeous warmth, enveloping 
kind of almost magical transportive quality that I think is lost since in the kind of digital era that if you listen back to those records, they still sound absolutely incredible. Yeah, they're popping out. Like they're, even the Nat King Cole. And, the uh, Nat King Cole. There's another great voice that pruning. lent itself to that kind of nice, warm, yeah. you know, and uh, my dad was a big Nat King Cole fan. So, but it was always Jim Reeves always when the pub was closing at weekends yeah. in particular they, where they'd share a drink together at the end. Ah, I love that story, yeah. And they'd sit and do down little, and we'd be sweeping up the fag butts and they'd be sitting there, fags out. A little, my father used to drink like a whiskey glass of Guinness. Just that's all he'd have. He'd have one or two of those. He'd, he wouldn't deign. <laughs> he wouldn't deign to drink. The original baby Guinness. Uh, literally, yeah. yeah. Little baby Guinness. My mother had a wee brandy and then they'd sit there and they'd reminisce and then she'd, ah, the tears come down the side of her face. And, that's nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. So Jim Reeves would be a big one for me now. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so your second choice is out of t- uh, is is um R.E.M. R.E.M. So R.E.M., for anyone who's listened to me waffle on the radio, play tunes, will know how much I absolutely adore R.E.M. And this so takes you into your, presumably... This is, I'm 15 now. Yeah. So this is what we were talking about earlier, about I'm right in the heart of it now. I'm right in the, the zone of up until... I had no choice in my music up until 15. I was... You'd be relying on the radio or what my father would put on. Obviously, he would dictate what was on in the car. It was either that or Sunday Sport. That's what I... Yeah. You know, they were the only outlets for me. But at this time... Uh, I was given my we were up in Cork City and my mother would be have been going at that time to a lot of hospital appointments so she would go away for a couple of hours to the Mercy then it would be up to us to just knock about Cork City now, we didn't have that much money but we were sitting in the car and I suppose we were in, and I was trying to kind of sniffle and whinge when's she coming out and he goes listen and he took out a ten, an old £10 note and he goes there you go now go get yourself a, go get yourself a record and I was like what? So he handed it over to me, gave me a beautiful little gorgeous wink. And I climbed up, I was like the Duke's Hazard, I almost climbed up the side of the car. And I scampered <laughs> up North Main Street. I'll never forget it, scampered like dodging. I was almost like Richard Ashcroft in beautiful, I, I was bouncing off people. Yeah. And I found, uh, now my memory on this is a little, it was, I think it was the HMV on Patrick Street, which again, is, sadly, is no longer. Scuttled in, I'd never been in a record shop in my life, didn't know how it worked so I went up to the assistants and I was like just breathlessly going R.E.M. Uh, out of time because Losing My Religion had come out and I heard that on the radio on the late great Larry Gogan show at that time and it just changed my life I heard this the mandolin the beginning of Losing My Religion and I heard Michael Stipe's voice and it absolutely it was like that scene that shot a famous track and zoom shot in Jaws where Roy Schneider's on the beach and yep. someone says Shark! And Spielberg and his genius zooms in and tracks back at the yep. same time. It was like that. Crashed him. Yeah. And I just, what, like my I, my pupils, I opened up and my and the pores, yeah. in my, my musical pores opened up and I yeah. was ready. I said, what so, is this? And you felt it was being almost sung directly to yeah, you. Yeah, right. Those days, this is the power of radio as well, yeah. I forget, you know. So you wouldn't know what to, because it would come at you unexpectedly. I remember hearing it Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time, thanks to Larry Gogan. And it, it had followed something innocuously pop like Kylie Minogue and next to the charts at number 43 mm. it smells like Teen Spirit you know very bad Larry impression but it's Nirvana and I remember going what the uh is this and my father you know whipping back he can't say that and I was like dad please turn it up so that was a great power of radio still is you just don't it's, it's going to come at you and it'll find you at the most unexpected time so I heard Lose a and became obsessed had to get the album and I bought it Stared at it in the car in the back of the Volkswagen Beetle all the way home, up and down the mountains of Nad, all liar, all the way back to the house. Dad pulled into the crunch inside, uh, the crunchy gravel outside the pub. Again, I jukes a hazard out the car up to my tiny, tiny, tiny little what I called my ghetto blaster. Remember those double deck little stairs yeah. that we had? And I fumbled with it. I, you know, I'd never really used a tape before, and I stuck it in, and I 
And I press play and then the first song is radio and you hear this rapper KRS-One. And I could, what? What's this rap? What? <laughs> this is, and I was like, no. And then you hear Stipe coming in and, and it was my, just lay back in, in my bed. And that was it for me then. Yeah. You know, it was, it was akin, you know, I had never been in love before. I was only 15. I was dreadfully uh, inadequate, unsuccessful. Uh, with women at that stage, my awareness of them was very real, but my lack of ability to make good on that awareness was also just as real. So this is my first feeling of the intensity of it was almost, almost overwhelming. So I would spend the entire day, the next day, the next day, just putting on repeat after repeat. And that started my love affair. And I went to the Gaelic for the first time that year. Mm-hmm. And again, this is what I'm talking to you about music. The Gaelic, again, very formative. I'm, I'm sure it still is. You know, again, I'm trying to, not be rose-tinted nostalgic about these events and we we, t- we kind of tend to rely on them a little bit too much on social media going, oh, that Glen Rowe feeling or do you remember the Gale Touch? Do you remember this? There's a kind of a nostalgia industry but I, the, for the for me and for many of my generation the Gale Touch was for somebody who was socially as awkward and as unpopular as I was in school that going to the Gale Touch was like a blank canvas and they didn't know who you were. I even changed my name, I remember. I was Edward up until I was 15 and I remember this vividly going and someone asked me, some girl asked me in the Gaeltic, and I and I when I paused for a second, I went, <laughs> sorry, just looking back now. It's like I'm Kaiser so safe and user suspects. But <laughs> I went, Ed. Brilliant. She went, she went, okay. The birth of Ed. Smith. Yeah, yeah, the birth of Ed. So and I was I I treated that. I don't know how healthy this is psychologically now, but I I re- had a chance to reinvent myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, none of these people knew what was thought of me at home or in school. And they took to me and music. I had that one tape with me was REM out of time. And they and everyone was like, Oh my god, you've got the REM album. So again, music for me was a way a, in as a key and as as kind of a, a lure. Passport. Yeah, a passport and a kind of like a, I'd, I'd fling out the bait and it would draw people yeah. to me because at that time I had absolutely zero confidence in thinking I could tr- attract people or so music became by myself. music in a way became a building block for your essential confidence. I, I, I cottoned on quite identity quickly identity and confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, and not it sounds mercenary, but I I, I would have cottoned on quite quickly because to get into bands and to kind of hear what people that I thought were cool or funny, what they were into. I'd, I'd eavesdrop and then I'd suddenly walk in maybe wearing a Cure t-shirt and I, w- I was like a magpie, which I, which I think oddly enough kind of served me later on in my careers as, as a music DJ. But I would I would listen out and I'd be very aware what other people liked, you know, which is my job as a music, music presenter. It's not about my taste. And then I'd get into those bands as a way of, I suppose, inveigling myself into people's... Uh, affections almost. Now, it, it was all very superficial, you know, beyond talking about, you know, we'd swap tapes and then this is the day of, you'd be recording stuff off the radio and do compilations and all that. So, you know, you'd, you'd do up a compilation and then like, there's some songs I can hear to this day, you know, I was a big Pearl Jam fan and I'd hear Jeremy to this day, 10 was out in around 91 and I recorded it off Larry again, again. He was my gateway dealer that Pearl Larry. Uh, so, I would record it off the radio. And to this day, if I hear Jeremy from Pearl Jam, which I do listen to a lot still, if if I don't hear Larry's voice coming in at the very end, you know you'd miss the end. Yeah. That was Pearl Jam. And then yeah. you go, it doesn't feel the same to me now. Yeah. I've lost that tape since. But oh. anytime I hear the end of Jeremy, I'm expecting yeah. the great Larry's beautiful voice coming at the end. But these are the days you lived in. But music was currency. And did you stay with, um, did you stay with uh, R.E.M.? Yeah. 
So, so other- R.E.M. was, again, that was my entry point. Yeah. So then I would go back. They, that was their seventh album. They had six previous. They were signed to a label called IRS, which was an indie label in uh, in the States. They were from at. They were around. That was 91. They were around a good 10, 10 years at that stage already. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I got R.E.M.'s first album. Mm. And then I've discovered this is their seventh. You know, So I went back and I listened and then I got insufferable about them you know I became an obsessive and there's one particular album from them uh, Green which I think is their their greatest record but uh, I would listen to it so much my poor sister Davina to this day has PTSD which she can barely still talk about that I'd be <laughs> I'd be in the bath and we did you know you couldn't plug so I'd plug the little stereo outside yeah. the bath it'd be in the corridor and I'd put on Green yeah and I'd be having my bath and I'd, I'd nip out my towel and then turn it over and go back into the bath <laughs> singing along. And I wore, I listened to so much, I wore it to nothing. Like yes. the, the tape, yes. I put it in one day, it was like, yeah. almost a voice coming on, like, yeah. get a life. Yeah. If you've come to this stage where you're hearing me going, there's no more, you need to move on. But she, I think I heard, it, I heard a click and a violent tug of the tape one day while I was in the middle of the bath. Hey, what's going on? What, what happened? I thought it was a power cut. She got the tape and she just flung it. Okay. Yeah. So that's how bad I was. And I think to this day, I, I will gladly and proudly and without, I hope, much fear of contradiction say that R.E.M. on their day and in their day, the greatest band in the world. Hmm. You know, their consistency, uh, they changed the game and their uniqueness and the quality of the music melodically and Michael Stipe's very enigmatic I suppose lyrics, his presence, and they just gelled as a unit. And I'd, um, there's a wonderful series. I just want to recommend this, and I should be plugging my own podcast. But there's a series on YouTube called Song Exploder. I don't know if you've seen it. No, nope. it's another podcast, and I won't talk about that now. But where each band gets to talk about one of their famous songs, and they Arya have chosen "Losing My Religion." Mm. It is an astonishing thirty minutes. Okay. You think it's their biggest and most well-known song, really. It's on nearly a billion listens on Spotify. Mm. It's the song that opened them up to the world. It's an interesting album out of time because they didn't lose their indie so-called I was there first, I prefer their early stuff kind of crew, which I became. But and then they but they, they opened themselves up to a whole new... And then Automatic for the People came out and that went absolute gangbusters. So yeah. they were the big span. Which one was Everybody Hurts on? That's on Automatic, okay. yeah, 92. So... They'd opened it and then on Out of Time, you've got Shiny Happy People, which divides people. But, you know, Out of, uh, out of Time was the one that kind of like, they're, listen, we're going to go for it now. Let's just, let's broaden it out. Let's let's bring a bit of American, a bit of mandolin. We don't have to be so hard and edgy and cool and it worked for them. But on Song Exploder, they discuss uh, Losing My Religion. And it's, and it's, and I'll say this, not just as an REM fan, but it is incredibly moving mm. uh, the way they discuss and they play back some tapes of Michael's yeah. Type's first uh, demos of the, and he'd never heard them in 30, 40 years yeah. whatever it was and he has tears in his eyes and you hear the band hearing the song again for the first time yeah. and the meaning it has again this is with what I'm trying to achieve trying with recorded history yeah. is getting people to to go back you know you might think you know one of your favourite albums but when you attach that like I did there and I was even getting emotional thinking about Jim Reeves yeah. there now I'd put on Jim Reeves every now and then and go ah but when you really listen and you have to think about it and you go, where does it take? Where am I now? Close your eyes and you jump into what I call the hot tune time machine. And you close your eyes and you're listening. And it's almost like a movie, kind of the, the wobbly camera yeah. and, the, and, the, and the harp strings. It's an incredibly potent. Yeah. And uh, I would think powerful. And it can, be, it can be, you know, it can be tough, you know, if you, if you associate with a particular 
member of family or friend that's passed or yeah. a tough time, you know. So this is, I'm not trying to get people to cry. It'd be great if they did. No, but it also reminds me of, it also reminds me of therapy and mm. music therapy. Yeah. You know, I don't, there probably is such a thing as music therapy. There is, but yeah, it reminds me. speaks about that very yeah. eloquently as well on the podcast that. you Because you are speaking about stuff there that is related to yeah. almost, it's kind of regression. It's a form of, it's a, it's almost a form of, you know. But I've written my notes and I, re- I've written my notes here for you and it's all black and white and here, and this released on this date, 18 million copies worldwide. Yeah. It's not about that. It's not about the stats or, you know, it's about, you know, I suppose what it, the album meant to me and what the album meant to music and then trying to combine those two. What I'm trying to get people to do is go, why have you chosen this? Yeah. Not just because, oh, they're the biggest band in the world at that time or whatever. It's just, yeah. but where were you? What was happening in your life? Who were you then that yeah. this particular album yes. seeped in and got in past yeah. your defences? And what do you think of and what do you feel now that that you go back and I've asked you to listen back to it this morning before you come on the podcast. Where did it bring you? So that's where recorded history, I hope, and it will. And it already has with the ones I've done. Mm. It's incredible where people go with yeah. these choices. Oh, yeah. So Aria, excuse me, I just burped. It's bringing, it's bringing gas up in me so, so uh, powerfully is Aria. <laughs> but uh, Aria for me will always be my number one go-to. And on that particular album, I can just remember the kindness and the sweetness. It reminds me of my father's just unpredictable kindness. You know, he would just out of nowhere flash a beautiful moment of going, look, he was a typical Irish dad. Mm. Very funny man, kind, sweet man, but he was busy. He was working literally seven days a week, mm. 12 hours a day. So these little moments that he would look at me and he'd see maybe I was a little down. I was 15, for God's sake, you know, rolling my eyes and blowing my fringe off my, you know, off my off my forehead with another sigh. And then he'd like, ah, oh, bless him. And he just, all he did was hand me a 10 pound. It was a lot of money then mm. for us and for anyone. And he went, and I came back, and I could see him looking in the rearview mirror as I was going home, just staring at the pit, and I could see him like a little smile on his face. And so that's what it brings me back to, as well as yeah. the music itself. So this is the power of music, as we we're discussing. I mean, people know this already, but it's great to explore it in a little bit more detail and a little bit more, I suppose, depth. Brilliant. Let's delve deeper um, into your final choice, um, Ed. Yeah. And, and this will this. Where, where are we with Ed Smith in this now? So, so you know, again, I went through. I suppose I started in radio here in Today FM. I'm in Today FM 25 years now. 25? Mm. Oh, yeah, since... 98. Si- oh, really, since the yeah. beginning, yeah? So, 98, what were you doing in 98? So, I worked in... I would... Caroline Davis was our yeah. HR manager at the time. You won't recall this, but we used to do market research in the evenings. Yeah. So, a group of... I do remember, yeah. A group of kids yeah. would come in when everyone had left the offices. Yeah. And we'd ring people. I, I can probably say this now. I think Mairead Ronan might oh, have been. Oh, a load of people got their start yeah. there. Caroline was brilliant, right? If you if you made any any progress or any impression there, you'd yeah. always and that, you remember today from back in those days, Mario. Mm-hmm. It was a wild west yeah. of opportunity. Oh, it was just and a, madness. It was lovely. Yeah. It was just brilliant. a gorgeous time. Everyone was young, yeah. early twenties. Yeah. And there was a real sense around today FM at that time. We were the new kids on the street. We were doing it different. Oh yeah. You know, and you're looking at across at the old big house in Montrose and you know, yourself, McLoon, Ian. All the D's, Dem- Dempsey, Dunphy yeah. and uh, Deneen and Darcy. You know, yeah. it was just magical. Yeah. Not that it isn't now, but you know, and I suppose at that time, I... You can never replace the, the beginning though. No, of course you can. It's like yeah. any relationship, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? The early days when it's wild and people have seated their pants. So I was working in market research at that time and I, I somehow annoyed Caroline to give me little gigs. I worked with Brian Adams as the assistant to head of music very quickly and soon I found myself on working with Tom Dunn. And so music for me then became my job as such, you know. So my relationship and my 
with music changed, I was exposed. When you work with Tom Dunn, his knowledge and his passion mm. is very infectious. You Tom know? has been on this podcast yeah. and we've spoken about music or rather I've listened and he's spoken. Um, but I'm, I'm so interested in it. I'm able to ask him a couple of provocative enough questions to get him rolling. Yeah, and he and will. off he goes. He and he's brilliant. His articles in The Examiner are fantastic as well. He's a great writer. Terrific writer. Yeah, and he, he's a, not too intellectual or kind of elitist about music either, but he has a, a gorgeous insight and a very unique take on music because, well, of course, he lived it here in Ireland for so long. Like something happens, massive, massive band and touring, you know, with some great artists. But... That it was those times, and to go on to work with Paul McLoone then for so many years, like, and then presenting my own show, get my own show. My relationship with music changed. I went through all that nineties grunge. I was a massive grunge fan. The Britpop era for me, nineties music for me, is where it's at, you know. And I think it's still what the, the most fertile uh, music in that decade of music for me t- to this day. It's probably one of the greatest decades of music of all time. Wow. I would say that. Yeah. But if you think about it, hip-hop came to the fore, R&B, you've got your grunge, you know, you've, and then you've got your Britpop, rock music was still prescient, and all the great pop tunes, the likes of Britney came to the fore and all yeah. that. So it has it all the 90s yeah. for me. But come the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, I was kind of a bit burned out. I was getting older, and as we discussed earlier, you know, my ability to kind of pick, it was happening so quickly music that I was losing the thread of it. And then... The soundtrack to Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out and I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. Me too. Racing Arizona ah, is one of my favourite films. Unbelievable. When they did Racing Arizona I just thought that Nicolas something, Cage something different had happened. This is, this is This is yeah. there's, there's an un, there's an unmitigated joy mixed with just highly clever and uh, but there's an unmitigated joy to their style as well. Well yeah and it's so methodical and thought out but at the same time uh there is a kind of, there's, there's such a unique voice. The two of them get yeah, together. It really is. And they get the performances out of people. You think about Fargo, The Big Lebowski in particular. Yeah. And their use of music throughout yeah. their films. And Oh Brother Out There was an interesting case, actually. T-Bone Burnett, a bit of a legend in the bluegrass yeah. Americana field. He was charged with another fella to kind of, they recorded the soundtrack album before the film was made. So he gathered some of the best known, uh, Gillian Welch, all of these people, to re-record some classic standards from the 30s. And there's one original, You Are My Sunshine on the record is, is the original oh, recording. yeah, You Are My Sunshine. Like, You Are My Sunshine has been done by everybody. It's the from most time. covered song of yeah, all it time. It is exactly, it. that's mm. right. And again, when you, when I heard, when I saw the film, which I, I did, I really enjoyed. Mm. But for me, when I heard the soundtrack, and I'll, I'll say the same as well for Cold Mountain, a film that's remarkably forgettable, sadly, but uh, the soundtrack to it is absolutely astonishing. I again had that moment and it hadn't happened to me for so long I loved my music obviously I worked in it it was so great to meet I met Paul Weller all my heroes over the years all the great Irish bands working with Tom working with Paul but few and far between compared to what I would have experienced it was as they say in The Godfather that lightning bolt moment you know, when you fall in love and I absolutely just knocked off my feet when I was like it was almost as if I'd lived a past life and something was speaking to me. This music from the Catskills of the 1920s yes. and 30s, Bill Monroe, That's right. you know, Boscags, and all the way up to Gillian Welsh and all these people that have that strand, Steve Earl to this day. And it changed again, another life-changing Again, this is me. interesting though, Ed, because um, the kind of, the bluegrass mm. and stuff that you talk about very much tapped into the 
development of country music as well. Yeah, and, and this opened up. And so this is yeah. this kind of this kind of goes full circle with your Jim Reeves in a way. That's what I, I came full circle, and it was then that I looked back on Jim Reeves and even a lot of the Irish country artists at the time. You know, but you know Hank Williams. I got yeah. really into Hank Williams. And, you know, my father would have been a big Hank Williams fan. Johnny Cash, of course, saw a resurgence around this time, thanks to Rick Rubin and his American recording. So, yeah. and right in the middle of all this, then you've got your Oh Brother, We're Out There soundtrack. And for the want of a better word, it, it became cool again, you know. Yeah, but why was it that it spoke to you so I think clearly? I've been thinking about this before I spoke to you. And I think, and I, again, I do love my music, of course. You know, I think at that stage, I was getting a little jaded. I've been working in, the peripheries of the, and I wasn't making music myself, but I, I, I was dealing with bands, listening to other people's music, every genre, at every week, you'd get sent in 10, 15, 20 new albums. These are the new ones. These are the ones you have to watch out for. And then the next week, no, no, forget about them. This week it's these lads. And then the enemy, they'd be a different cover. This is the band of the year. And you go, and I, I got quite cynical and I, I, you know, there's a lot of bullshit as we all know famously in, yeah. the, in the music business. Talk, people talk a big game. People get hyped. And I had just gotten the the inauthenticity of it, the fakeness of it. And then I heard this and I just ran to it. I cling to it and I delved into it and I immersed myself in it. And I just sensed it was such a palate cleanser. Uh, now, this is not to talk ill of the bands that were around then or, in, or are around it was now. Like but a, it, do you know what it's, it's, you're making me think it is? That you were just, you were under a haze of music. Yeah, it was almost too much. And that this much. was a reset. Yeah. Perfect. It was control alt delete, and I would listen to. It. I wouldn't discuss it with anyone. I didn't become obsessive. I'm not. A re- I'm not a, a, an obsessive about music, but I would go home and very p- privately and quietly. Uh, that would be the yeah. album if I'd been out for a couple of scoops. Yeah, it's I like mean. as if somebody said to you, Ed, 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 Ed. Hang on a second. I know you're listening to a lot of music. <laughs> hang on. Just listen to this. This Ed is called music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That somebody was just said, this is music. And you went, oh, that's music. Yeah, it was undeniable. Shit, this is music. Yeah, there was no artifice. Yeah. There was yeah. no pretense. Yeah, it was no bullshit. There was no bullshit. There was no yeah. backstory. Yes. And this is like Fleetwood Mac, you know, the, he was going out with... It was, the, it was music stripped down yeah, to music. It was just back to its bare bones. And the Emotion, rawness, feeling, yeah. words, sound. And the rawness of it. And I suppose what it meant to the people that, you know, the influence of the Irish and the Scots emigrating right. from Ireland and Scotland. It was country music. Coming to the <clears throat> coming to the deep south, yep. living in the mountains, yep. tough, hard people with tough, hard lives. Some Cajuns as well, and Cajuns mixing with natives and the Cajuns, mm. and then there was gospel music came in. Yeah. It all kind of melded in yep. right into this beautiful little melting pot that absolutely from that sprung from those mountains, this spring came, and I to this day. I would listen to all these artists. If you listen back to like what was that? I'm, I'm trying to remember one of the the, the 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 key song from the Old Brother. Where art thou? Man that? of constant sorrow. Oh yeah, man. I of con- am a man of constant sorrow. Yeah. If you think about that, it's just you know it's it in, in stark contrast to what the Nashville sound, which I talked about with with Jim Reeves. It's this. It's the direct polar opposite. It's stripped back. Mm. It's just a fiddle. Because they didn't have any instruments. They had to make their own in most cases. Maybe a mandolin, a guy with a string into a a tea chest. Yeah. It was as raw as it gets. These guys were never trained. And these songs were passed on from family to family, like the Carters. Yeah. If you go back to June Carter's family, the grandmother, and they passed the songs on. That's right. The whole family played together. No radios. And then when radio did come, Mm -hmm. that's where then, you know, people would gather around. And this music, you know, country music stations were really... 
such a pioneer of radio at the time because these places were so vast and isolated that music through the radio was the only way they could get and then the Grand Ole Opry happened. But for me, the bluegrass that you will hear as an example on Oh Brother Where Art Thou to me brings me to a place that very few other genres. I love my rock music. I mean, my show, is co- of course, is called Today FM Rocks with Ed Smith and I get my rocks off as good as anyone. As a release, as a relief, and as to bring me back to my days in the 90s, listen to Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and up until 2006, the Arctic Monkeys. Uh, glorious days for me, and there's still some great rock bands out at the moment. But if I need to get away away, if, if I want to go out, out, mm. as it were, mm. I'll have a glass of wine and put on my Spotify, and I'll put on... And then the great thing about Spotify, of course, is it'll bring you to other artists. Have yeah. you tried this? and Have you tried that? Yeah. And then I've started buying records, you know, on the recordhub.com I've, I've been looking into different country artists and different bluegrass records and it's just been such a joyful rewarding satisfying and again it's a very personal one for me because when I had my heart attack in 2019 you know I was told by somebody in the hospital listen and and very wisely actually you know the, you're fine phys- you know you're, we've got you physically we fixed you you know you're looking good you're a young man and, you know, someone then said, now it's up here. And she tapped the side of her head. And I didn't. I said, what are you? I'm just so relieved to be past this. And then she, and she tapped the side of her head again. And she just walked away. I think she was a nurse. Just watch this. And I was like, I didn't know what she meant. And then while I was recovering for the few weeks after the heart attack, you know, I'd, I'd be in bed. I, you know, you're, you're a house band, sofa band in many cases, you know, and there'd be nothing on telly. I put on some tunes. And everything I was listening to was like, Again, I'd be going back to listen to indie, rock, grunge, trying to keep up with what was going on so we didn't miss out. And then I said, you know what, I'll just throw on, I haven't listened to a brother for a while. And I threw it on and I just felt every atom, every electron, every little cell in my body just go. (sighs) Yeah. And that transportative, as we spoke about earlier, about the meditative, Mm. um, I suppose the escapology that music is really yeah. that's it took me out of my head yeah. anxiety was real I get at it time. I get it yeah. and it was those and I'd put on again and then I would just go on tangents yeah. but, but that would be again an album that I would return to when I'm out for a walk and I need to it's a tough business we're in Mario you know and you know as you know as well as anyone you know I don't maybe people fully understand they can see the surface level of it but it's a tough hard grindy business behind the scenes in many ways there's a lot of pressures and not taken away from how privileged we are to be on the radio or to work in it of course but it comes with it a lot of silent dangers <laughs> so when they are getting on top of me I will just down tools when yeah. I say down tools I'll put down my laptop but and I'll put I'll put that on I'll put that album on and as soon as I hear ding 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 you are my sunshine yeah. and I'm like ah you know, so that muscle memory for me yeah. to this day, it's a trigger. And, and you know, people yeah. say a trigger warning. Yeah. I get triggered in a very good way yeah. when I hear that. So, again, those three albums for me, I suppose, again, hopefully I haven't waffled on too much. But no, I think, I'm, I think that's that brilliant, Ed, yeah. This is, and you did a very good job there, by the way. Thank you. Do you want to pr- present the podcast? I think I might just <laughs> give it to you. So with recorded history, to go back to it again, this is where we're going. Again, is what that feeling and that visceral memory that each of your choices. Again, yeah. I, I'm adamant on this that you, it doesn't have to be you don't have to be cool you know it's very much there's no. another podcast out there 
that are kind of shop windows for people's taste. But, but you've world. really, like, I mean, for your recorded history, right? I mean, you've really sold the idea now. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I hope so. Thanks yeah, so you much have, for the because chance because when I was given the opportunity with this, where I was discussing it with D, mm. D Ready and we were chatting it out and I was like, oh. You've done it to yourself. Yeah. And I just <laughs> went, now, that, and, and quite honestly, and I'm going to be very honest here, having done the chat with you. Yeah. You feel confident about it. I have a better understanding. You do, of you know what it is now. Is, and I feel, I'm almost much more excited than yeah. I was. You know, there was a certain, you know, listen, you're a very seasoned performer uh, on radio and on tour and all the rest. So I suppose, I don't know if nerves affect you, but this is new ground for me. And I think it's there's a safety net with a, with a radio show that you can hide behind the songs. It's you, a winning idea, Ed, mm-hmm. because basically, you know, uh, it's Desert Island Discs, except it has soul. Yeah. It's Desert Island Discs Beautiful. with that's, emotion. That's the new tagline. So this is what it is. It's starting next week. First guest, no less than the Queen herself, Shania Twain. What a kicker off. I know. How am I going to follow yeah. that? To let people know, it's going to be first on Go Loud or wherever you get wherever you get your podcast, and make sure to follow the show so you don't miss out on any of the great episodes. And it's all thanks to the wonderful yeah. gang down at the record Just a, it's a small change in the name. There should be a small change. It Go should on. be called Ed Smith's Recorded History. Go on, I'll have a word. D, you listen. Maybe let's wait for the first. Cause, yeah. I'll you record know, I like, Ed History. I, <laughs> Come on, Larry. Ed Smith's Recorded History. Because people will always kind of just go anything on. but my name. It's, on it. it's Ed Smith. It. Yeah. It's all about brand recognition. Exactly. Ed, well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And that's it from this week's episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to Ed Smith, but I always love talking about music. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I get back to 95% of them and I read them all. Talk to you soon.